This is No Call, No Show. Hi, I am Taylor Ray. I'm Ricky. This is a bi-weekly podcast hosted by two women of color bartenders addressing what we believe are the real issues of the hospitality industry. Um, so uh, welcome back. And we are again starting with our Long Island iced tea. Yes, I'm going to start right now. Um, so I was doing some adventuring last week. And I came across this bar that I've never heard of or seen um, called Baby Jane. And I immediately fell in love with it. Where were you adventuring in? Um, around the Clinton Hill, Fort Greene area. Mm-hmm. Um, this is actually off the Clinton, Washington G train stop. Um, so I was hanging out over there by myself, looking for a place to... I'm reading this new Sherry book. And I was just looking for a place to sit and like read for a little bit before I had to go into work later that night. And um, I found Baby Jane, and I talked to the bartender for a little bit, and they told me it was a black-owned bar, which was even cooler. Yeah. So um, right after that, I started researching it. Well, first of all, I really enjoyed my time there. Um, I had about two cocktails and just chilled out, read my book. No one bothered me, which is great to go by yourself somewhere as a female and, like, not be bothered at the bar is, like... A gift. That's a win. So... (laughs) Win, win, win. All right. Um, <laughs> so uh, I was talking to the bartender. I forget her name, unfortunately. But after doing some research, I found out it was it's owned by somebody. I don't want to mispronounce her name, but Safira or Safira Molina Dash Hill. Um, this bar is related to Dick and Jane's, which is also in the same hood. Mm-hmm. And that's owned by her husband. Awesome. So it's really cool. They Power they couple. Together. Yeah. Exactly. Um, And something that I read about her that I thought was really interesting that I identified with was that she started out in fashion. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a degree in fashion. I don't use it right now. I plan on using it. always be looking fly. Um, Oh, please, bitch. You know, I shop at Rainbow. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Anyway, though, uh, she had a career in in fashion and music management. And she just, this is great, but she led marketing for Parkwood, which is the company... That's Beyonce's company that produces everything she does. Mm -hmm. So she led marketing for that for a bit, which I thought was really interesting that she left that to open her own bar. And I get it because our industry is the best industry. I don't care what anyone says. (laughs) Shout out to our industry. Yeah. So she left to do this. Um, Her bar is dope. Uh, In her words, she said it has Caribbean feels that is a vacation from the outside, which I think is awesome as your mission statement. But Clinton Hill and Fort Greene are already, like, kind of a vacation. That area is just so nice in, like, any season. But going in there, it's very Caribbean, uh, like, Bayesian-themed bar. Um, a lot of classic cocktails, like, their own takes, obviously, on classic cocktails. They also have a whole non-alcoholic beverage list, which is awesome for right now because a lot of people are on that wave of, like, either taking days off from drinking or full months off or just giving up completely, which I fully support. And to be able to do it in a place like that, like a cocktail bar, yeah. they don't have to be judged by it or anything, I think is really I think lit. also when you, you, I think we all drink water. I think that's something that we're all doing. <laughs> you should all drink water. And if you're not, you should. But I think that's also, gross. I, it's gross. <laughs> um, but I think also, you know, in between cocktails, having something that, um, that is, that like, changes a different t- taste profile or has mm-hmm. something exciting or something that you're interested in. I think a lot of us 
when we read a cocktail menu, we look at the spirit and we're like, okay, cool. And then we start looking at the ingredients inside of that cocktail and we're more excited about the combination of ingredients in the cocktail than maybe the spirit itself. So when you see something that's a non-alcoholic list that is has a really intriguing combinations of flavors, like I'm interested in that. Yeah. I mean, it does help you learn flavors better to just eliminate the liquor. Yeah. It'll challenge you a lot more. Um, I thought it was great that they had that. And somewhere in that area, I haven't seen, I've only been around the area for a little bit, but I haven't seen many bars that offer that. Yeah. So that was really Well, Fort Greene, I mean, Fort Greene historically, I mean, I, growing up in New York City, I went to high school with my best friend, Corby, um, one of them, high school, we've been friends literally since I was 14. She lived in Fort Greene and her parents bought property in Fort Greene when it was super, super underdeveloped and um, there was a different, you know, different, different demographic. It wasn't a different demographic. The demographic that was there has been there. The different demographic is what's happening now. Mm -hmm. And so for there to be a Caribbean bar is not out of touch of the area. No, it just seems out of, of touch because it's been so, um, you know, black owners maybe haven't had different kind of, uh, you know, th- I remember, you know, we would go to, there would be like a Caribbean festival every summer mm-hmm. there. Um, the West Indies festival was there and that was so oh, that area for sure. But to get like quality but, cocktails that are Caribbean themed in that area is. I, and I think that there's definitely having, you know, some bars, um, Sugarcane was a bar that was one of my accounts and I was working with Bacardi and I fucking loved Sugarcane because it felt really organically hood and people were supporting everyone there. I was probably the lightest person there. And I was like, that's where I feel the most welcome <laughs> is when as a woman of color, like there's everyone around me is just darker and thriving and enjoying things. But that has always been, at least in Fort Greene, I can only speak upon what, where I when I was fourteen, there's a bar there called Frank's, OG Frank's, love I Frank's. Frank's. I was is. yo Frank's. I probably shouldn't say this because it's a it's shout out to from, Frank's cocktail lounge. Shout out to it's Frank's cocktail no. lounge, but Frank's was the only place in the hood who wouldn't cart us, and we would go to Frank's as like sixteen year olds. But like we knew, we were like okay, that's like you know we're we have to act mature. You know you <sighs> you as a someone in, from growing up in New York City. The only times you can like drink outside of your house is in the summer because winters are a really hard place to get drinks served to you. Um, but Frank's was the shit. OG spot. Frank going. died about a year ago. No. I heard about that. Someone posted that on Bendito. It was like Facebook. Yeah, oh, this that. pour went out to Frank, but it's getting poured into my mouth. That uh, was one of those places that I went to in New York before I was living here. Um this was a while back. I hadn't been living here yet. I was up here visiting. I actually was long distance dating this chef who lived around the corner who brought me there. And I was just like, what is this? Frank's was the place where I ordered. I thought I was cool by ordering old fashioned. And the bartender was like, she gave me bourbon, ginger ale, two <laughs> dashes of whatever bitters was in ginger front of her. Put that back. And I was like, yeah, that's it. I guess that's. And I, I, I had like, done research about old fashions or certain cocktails so that's delicious sounds yeah fucking delicious sounds like i'm something should i'd order it right now and be like can i get a like bourbon ginger ale a couple of dash you should like enter that into a cocktail competition shit 
But you know Frank's because, like, if you're going, is it Fulton it's on? It's on Fulton in between yeah, so Vanderbilt when you're going, and Clinton. Yeah, so when you're on Fulton, you see the sign on, the on like, it's, it's, it's like a brick wall, and it has, like, a martini neon thing, and it's just, like, you know it's Frank's. Yeah. But shout out to Frank's. No, I remember that. Yeah, so. And shout out to bars that are still standing in those areas that are thriving amongst and i think that that's where like a lot of i'm pretty sure i mean i could i think i could say confidently that baby jane's probably had some influence of being a black owned you know if they're from there and they opened up a cocktail bar they definitely went to frank's they definitely went to those kind of bars that were about that that had that were black owned back then that had you know were making cocktails had scotch had tequilas had vodkas had everything behind the bar because frank's has a lot of shit behind its bar but those kind of places you know were the reason why you know those seeds were able to be plotted around that neighborhood and actually Mm -hmm. flourish and grow into places like baby jane so support support the og bars and support the new bars. yeah i mean i I felt an affinity towards her because of her background and just being in this industry, starting in fashion and and then giving your whole life to that and realizing how abusive it is and not making the money you're supposed to make into transitioning to an industry like this, which was once just like a crutch that just helped you make money while you were doing whatever else you were doing and fully immersing yourself in it instead, I think is a really good transition because fashion and our industry kind of go hand in hand in a lot of ways. The people are really different, but we're both creating things for people. With your hands. With your hands. And it's about expression. Um, But I think, I mean, going through fashion and finding your path into the hospitality industry is, I I think, a really good way to, to, I mean, do it. I never thought I would still be where I am right now in this, like, the four years I spent in school. Um, And to see her open her own bar, like, by herself as a black female and, like, killing it, I was shocked. Not shocked in a way that I wouldn't think that anyone could do that, but in the way that the bar was set up and learning her background and how long she was doing it for to opening a bar like this is incredible to me. Yeah, I think the so, shock factor is... Shout out to her because, I mean, being in fashion and, like, running Beyonce's whole thing, she also, like, launched House of Darion. She helped 50 Cent launch his fashion line back in the day. So, like, she's been in it. She's made yeah. a complete career change into this. I think that's the shock factor is, yeah. like... The shock factor, I think, with a lot of people who, and these are for bartenders who, you know, went and have their bachelor's or master's in something, and the shock value for us is the, it's like a welcome, welcome home kind of thing. It's like you, the shock value is that you left an industry, which is really hard to do especially if you've been integrated in it and this may oh be God, this so may much be money on school and this all may the be in, uh, this could be the same advice to somebody who wants to leave the hospitality industry and venture into another one when you feel really rooted and comfortable in an industry that you think that i went to school for this this is what i should be doing or this is what i love it's okay for at a certain point in your career whether you are thinking about leaving a industry and going into the hospitality industry or leaving the hospitality industry and going into another industry is that it's okay to be deeply rooted in something but in order to grow you have to be replanted into like a bigger pot and and flourish in a different way and like that's a scary thing but you can absolutely do it and i There's think things that's you can definitely take from every industry and that will carry over yeah 
for me with fashion, it was like the ability to deal with the most difficult people. I was able to take that from that part of my life and apply it to this part of my life. And it's helped me so much because there's so many times that I felt like I had to cry in a meeting and I just learned how to deal with that person. It's the same thing of being behind the bar with someone. It's a transaction. And that person may be the worst person ever, but you still have to land that transaction. Mm. So no matter what, it's like giving me a thicker skin. It's helped me, you know, see the bigger picture um, in what I'm actually doing. And I'm still able to be creative. Whereas in fashion, when I actually had a real job, I was given no creative control at all. Mm. It was just do this, 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 crunch these numbers, do that, do that. Oh, you helped us do this? Good. No raise. Just deal with it. You know, keep going. Um, however, Sorry. Um, <laughs> however, I think for her, it was probably easier. And she has the support of her partner, which is... Yeah, she had... I mean, he could... I mean, he has his own bar. I'm sure she was around for the whole thing. Um, so opening her own, not to say that he made it easier, but she definitely had the support and help that she needed yeah. from her partner to transition over into this industry. That's awesome. I'm yeah. glad that you got to experience that. Yeah. Um, really quickly, I'm just going to um, do uh, my Long Island Iced Tea, which is Ricky, uh, which is Ricky and I were in a scenario where um, we were at a bar and something went down and there was uh, this amazing woman bartender. Do you remember her name? Mm, I don't. Oh, she was the best. Um, but there was a situation that happened in that where two men had a physical altercation and there was a couple men were on top of that. And she was just by herself in the scenario. And I think... Ultimately, we don't have to get into the details of that night, but I think that's something that we should address. And so if you are a bartender, whether male or female, um, and if you are owner, male or female, the no clothes alone is such an important rule that should be addressed because here she was, fortunately, in a room full of bartenders. Um, and a physical altercation happened with someone from the um, hospitality industry um, who was started putting his physically touching Ricky and also um, saying terrible making things, stupid comments, making stupid, stupid comments that um, I can ignore a stupid comment. But but then it was a stupid comment. And then he like people. touched her and then he touched another another one of our friends hair. And um, basically, we were with someone who acted extremely professional but at a certain point it got to it was so it was so many layers of disrespect so many of us trying to hold back that this guy kind of made a move to like touch our friend and he just knocked him out and that was the most fulfilling thing i've ever seen one because <laughs> so many times you you see people being so out of line and so fucking just next level disrespectful this was after the bartender had already said to him more than once can you please stop like stop, stop. she deals with him all he's a regular there she deals with him all the time he just doesn't listen so she asked him politely more than once and then forcefully asked him more than once and you and have that like regular stop. like they have like this cushion that you don't give other people which i think is bullshit but they have it because the bar says they should have it 
but I feel like regulars more than it's like if your friends come in and you ha- and they get the drink last, they should know that it's because you have to deal with other people first. Yeah. You have to act. Patience. You have to act right. even more respectful. You have to be even more patient because you are a regular and you're a friend of the house. And because you're a friend of the house, you're taking care of, but you have to take care of us and know that mm-hmm. he was a- extremely out of line. He got his shit knocked. Which I am so, which for me personally, again, I'm not condoning like violence, but it's so, it was so, like, it was such a satisfaction to finally see a man who had disrespected me, Ricky, other people, and other women in such profound ways to actually get their shit rocked and actually finally get repercussions that they should have. And I feel really okay with saying that that he got his he got knocked out and I felt really good about it. I was like that's what you fucking get and this is what happens. And instead of being just like you know like oh you have to go and all yeah. these managerial steps of but like the making of the sure is after he got knocked out he didn't leave. He didn't leave. And he so he stayed what, outside. He stayed outside and he haunted the bar. And so this is why you cannot close alone especially as a female. And and especially if you don't have even even as a a male closing the bar, I, no we had, at seamstress we had a no close no uh, nobody left behind um, mentality and that even was including our dishwasher and our dishwasher mm-hmm. was the last person after us so even after we were done closing our bar we would sit pour yourself a glass of wine uh-huh. or pour yourself a drink and wait until the dishwasher left because just because you're done closing your bar doesn't mean no man left behind I had a place like that too and they gave the bartenders keys to make sure you waited for the dishwasher don't no just you can't le- you don't disqualify anyone's yeah. position just because i'm a woman and i'm going to be like oh he's a guy he'll be fine no, it, it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter it doesn't matter Having another person there, whether it's two women, whether it's um, two men or or uh, one man, one woman, if someone comes in and there's the presence of another person, you that in their mind, they say, OK, I'm I'm not there's just not one person. There's two people. Mm-hmm. I have to maybe watch. I can't do this. Whatever I'm about to fucking do, which is usually terrible. I'm not going to do because now there are two sets of eyes on me, not just one. There may be an authoritative, which is your bartender, but if someone's sitting at your bar or if there's someone in the back that makes himself present, there is an understanding that we are a team. We're two against one and Mm -hmm. you're not going to win. And I think that it's really important for managers, owners, and even staff members who are closing on their own because she was lucky enough that there was another bartender who literally lived upstairs in the apartment that yeah. she called and she was called downstairs and came in, right down in five minutes. Yeah. And thank God he was there because one, he knew how to handle this regular Two, It was a male presence that was outside of the patrons mm-hmm. because that guy was like, Oh fuck them. Fuck that whole group. And we were like, and she knew we were bartenders and you know, I, we never just drop. Oh, we're bartenders. But having him come down because the guy outside who was a regular obviously knows who this bartender is. It kind of diffused the situation because he was like, "Okay, well now he's here. Now which I is, can't act this way. Yeah, and which now is I have still to bullshit leave." Because shouldn't been acting that way anyways. But but the fact that he came down and showed his face and was like, "Hey, I'm here. I'm an employee. Don't do you this. know, I work here." Yeah. It just you know it completely diffused the situation and it helped her. And I think that 
I one, I think that bar owners who know that women are closing their bars by themselves should be an automatic zero. But even second, it doesn't matter what your gender is because at the end of the day, even if you're a man and you think that you can take physically the other man, that is not in your job description. That is not something that you have to, that, that should be a burden you have to carry. I shouldn't have to now be a doorman, bouncer, and like a bartender, protect this money and the people around me. There should just be swallow the cost, pay maybe a newer security guard or $100, $150 a night. Maybe it's the hours from nine to four or 10 to four. Maybe you don't have to be from the just beginning. Just a late night. But just a late know. night like sign of security will help filter some of that behavior. I, I truly doubt that if that guy was going to behave that way and there was a door guy, one, oh, it would have been dissolved immediately. And two, he probably wouldn't have acted that way. But he knew that she was just like this little bartender and wasn't gonna which was couldn't dumb do it. because the people that were there were way bigger than him it doesn't so matter shouldn't even have tried but he was obviously drunk off his ass and he just knew this bartender wasn't gonna do much because she already asked him more than once and he still did it and he still wasn't kicked out yeah even if she tried to kick him out he probably wouldn't have left because sometimes someone could be like oh i've said you have to leave and they're like no yeah i'm not gonna leave and he probably would and then probably what, happened. what happens now yeah. as a woman what do i do do I go from behind the bar, which is my literally my like pillar of protection, and yeah, and then net. it's my safety you know? net, and then do that? No, and that's that's on the owner, that's on the bar manager, and that's on the culture of the bar. And I think that we have to be, as bartenders, we have to be expressive of that. And if that's the case, then you need to tell your bar manager or your owner, I'm not closing anymore. I yeah. am only opening shifts. I'm only opening because... And that kind of sucks because then sometimes you don't know if the closing shift is the best shift. You don't want to get your shifts taken away because you can't handle closing it, by yourself. It's not that, that you can't be, handle. It's yeah, that it's, it's not that you can't handle. If they're not going to change that, I worked at a bar where that they that they were not going to but they were not going to get a doorman, and I said, okay, what my temporary solution will be is that I now am the opening bartender, and. I guess if this male feels comfortable closing by himself, mm-hmm. then that's up to him. I don't. I voice that. If you still want me here, you can switch my schedule. If not, then I'm no longer here. And it's, I love you and I love this bar, but yeah. I can't do this. people that aren't in the position to do that, like some people aren't in the position to be like, okay, well then if that's not what you want, then I'll just go. Some people need the jobs they have and... Do, do you need your life? Do you need your safety? You do, but you if you have no other option, like people don't have it like... So then, well, Ricky, you know, okay, if there's no other option, what I'm saying is what's the solution? You're saying there's no option. You have to go the to them with a solution like, okay, can my bar back stay all night? Yeah, Maybe. and I'd have to pay my bar back an extra $35 to stay with me just well, to close. I'm just saying it's either that or like you can't put yourself... Because New York, people are very replaceable, unfortunately. So for for I'm just saying for people that don't have it like that, that can't be like, well, my solution is to work opening. If they're like, absolutely not, you're out and you're out of a job. That then, also sucks. then if people are as replaceable as you say, then people then they will be okay with finding another job where that shouldn't be an issue. I mean, I don't think that's true for everyone, but okay. I know, but you have to say to yourself... At what point does the hundred and fifty to three hundred dollars? I'm not saying don't my like, safety because you've been in, you visited me at on multiple occasions. Yeah, where you just stood with me till four a.m. 
even though you had to be up super early just because of this. And yeah, for me, the money course. was not worth it. You cannot give well, yeah, me enough money for my safety. For you, the money wasn't worth it. For some people, they don't have it like that. I don't have it like that. I know, but some people literally can't be like, well, I have to quit this job because I can't do this. So I'm saying for people that do have that, there's other solutions. Like, I think I think the solution is if, you're, if your employer doesn't want to change it, be like, okay, cool, ride that out until you find another job and make sure that your security is your priority because if you it's it's we work in an industry where we serve people booze and we are comfortable with people being drunk in front of us however there is we cannot predict how people will act and what situations we will be in and i think it's really important that if that's the situation and you don't have protection then you put yourself first you be like okay Okay, that's if that's what you want to do, yeah. that's fine. I'll work work four more shifts, work four more weeks, and be proactive in finding yourself a situation where that does not happen. Because the older we get, the more I do not give a fuck about my money, and I do give a fuck about my safety oh, and myself. I'm just saying for people that can't, this is why we're saying this right now, because yeah. anyone that does own a bar has management in a bar. Like, just be aware of that. And here is why we're talking about it. Yeah. Because if you never, so you won't think about these things. And like, these are real things you have to think about sometimes when you're a manager or owner of a bar. Not everyone feels safe. And you should always take that into account when you're making your schedules or whatever. Because these kind of things happen. And mostly, sadly, more than the time it's with regulars. So, yeah. It's like, just keep an eye on it and make sure that everyone feels safe. Safety you, first. I worked in a place where a manager used to check in on us every month just to be like, hey, just a monthly check-in. Is there anything you don't feel safe about? Anyone that said anything to you, just wanting to know. If not, that's cool. That's great, actually. But would always do a monthly check-in. I think that's a great tool as a manager or an owner to just check in because some people don't even speak up about things. And it's good to talk about these things that could seem like you would never know. Yeah. That girl probably, the owner probably has no idea that she feels that way. Yeah. So it's just good to check in. Because she only had one shift a week and she doesn't want to get that shift taken away. So exactly. she's like, yeah. I get what you're saying. I just She was definitely like making the money. Yeah. So. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. That's yeah. 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 How much money you got? 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 A lot. How much money you got? A lot. How many problems you got? A lot. How many people done doubted you? A lot. Left you out to rot? A lot. How many prayed that you flop? A lot. How many lawyers you got? A lot. Straight no chaser. It's me. It's you. We back. And who is you? I think it's Danny DeLuna. It's me. With an awesome neon coral sweatshirt oh my god okay so as a californian i felt like this was going to reflect my true beach bitch Mm -hmm. but also it's a rockaway sweatshirt i worked out there for a summer also just reflect off any light it's that's true it's it's neon as fuck i don't care yo i'm a neon queen ask anyone nice um so tell us about you um you know uh where you're from what you do and how you got to exactly where you are today okay the fast version of this story is that I'm from California, born in Santa Monica, moved to the Bay as a kid, left the Bay because I grew up in a super toxic 
cult church. (gasps) It's hold on. It's going to get more interesting. So my dad's family are uh, Mexicans who ran his his mom ran across the border in like 1915. He was born in L.A. My mom is a white lady from Mississippi who went to L.A. to party. So they get together in the disco era. Love it. I occur in 1981. Um, my little brother occurs as well. I occur. I love how you occurred. A friend of mine likes occur. to say that, that she disguised. <laughs> it's occur. ridiculous. You occur. <laughs> there it is. A friend of mine likes to say that she discovered America in 1981, which I also think is a funny way to say that you were born somewhere. So whatever. Um, yeah, so then we moved to the Bay, um, but... As my mom's family is from the South, when I get done going to a seminary program, I moved to Alabama to hang out with my mom's family. So I lived there for 10 years, and that's kind of when I started getting into cocktails. Uh Um, I was at music school in Birmingham, and I did that. And then I started coming up to New York to DJ and to play shows. Nice. So I was coming up here a lot. And then um, I came out of the closet at some point in the South. Again, not in California, like you would think people did. <laughs> Where the closet was like a jar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the door was a jar. <laughs> yeah. But in the South, where everything is oppressed, I actually came out of the closet. Um, so then my girlfriend right. moves up to New York. I start coming up here all the time. And then I moved here in 2011. Yes, that's correct. Okay, so that's a short version of the story. I get here and I'm like, yo, it sucks to DJ here because you have to DJ at bars and it's the worst. And you have to DJ till four in the morning. You Mm -hmm. paid like a hundred dollars, which is terrible. Yep. You know, and I went from having the largest dance party in Alabama and getting paid a a fun amount of money and traveling all over the country to DJ to like in bars till four in the morning. So I was like, fuck this going to work in tech and I had worked um, in tech in Alabama as well as kind of like my day job thing. Mm -hmm. So I did it here for a while and then I got injured at work. Um, I'm not going to say what company I was working for, but I'm, (laughs) I have one of those fun New York freak accidents where my arm got smushed by an elevator door. (gasps) No, thank you. Yeah. So that happened. happened. Um, But like, were you trying to let someone in? I was trying to hold the door for somebody who's carrying a very heavy computer. Did they oh say thank God. you at and sorry at any point? I don't even remember. <laughs> See, that's the fucking shit I they cannot stand did. about New York. So I right? that is it. the shit that they're not from New York because if they were from New no, York, she is. She looked concerned. Oof. I'm gonna she give her the. She's probably so shocked. I'm gonna give her the benefit of the doubt by saying she meant it. She probably did. No. She just looked this really. This was 2011. Like, a really heavy computer, and that happened. I don't know. I would probably pass out. I know. Just saying. <laughs> anyway, so I had two surgeries. My nerve got damaged. Um, what part of your arm got damaged? Okay, the elbow? So it literally closed on my elbow. Because oh, no one can oh. see what we're talking about, which That's I realized. True. Sweater. Hold on. I'll pull it up for you, maybe. Pull it. <sighs> okay. So I have a scar. Oh, that's, I just freaked out because I saw the, ref- the shadow of oh, the microphone. I was like, there's a whole bruise. There's a little scar that is two surgeries worth of scar. Okay. Um, so that kind of also put my music situation on hold because then mm-hmm. my it's hand doesn't work. Arm. So I can't yeah. play guitar and synth and all of those things. Which contributed to your DJ work. 
Yeah, that too. Right. It, I took a break from that as well. Um, okay. So I was talking about how I got into this business. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> the <laughs> while being at home, um, I had already been into cocktails for a couple of years, but then I was like stuck at home. So I got more into it and then I started getting more books. So mm. I really got into the like research end of cocktails um, and someone say development. Yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> I did. I've made a, a million cocktails at home and I have a very extensive home bar and I am home bar girl for any on Instagram at. Yeah. At home bar girl. That's me. That's her. Yeah. That's me. So, yeah. So that was happening. I was making a lot of cocktails. I was blogging about it. And then I started getting PR firms contacting me to do cocktails for brands which was tons of fun and that was I really liked doing that actually because then it gave me exposure to a lot of different types of spirits Uh Um, because if it was just left up to me I would do like rum gin and maybe agave and brandy for the rest of my life but you know, there's a lot of whiskey brands in the world. So yeah, that's, I've gotten so that's a lot what of, they say. Yeah, I heard that. I <laughs> yeah. heard about that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The whole Kentucky, you know, coming from the South, that, that whole thing. <laughs> you're like, that, right, and that was a thing. <laughs> what was that sound, it's the sound. <laughs> it's it's my it's my Vito Verde sound. Um <laughs> that Vino Verde sound. That Vino Verde. It sounds mm. like eh. I don't love that. I don't. I don't, that I don't love that for Portugal us. Wants to, wants to that. They don't. No, they don't. They definitely don't. Listen. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. So then I was like, "Ooh, my arm works again after two surgeries. Let me go back to work." So I went to work at Duke's Liquor Box in Greenpoint, which at the time that I started working there was spirits only and boutique spirits only. It's a liquor store. Yeah, now they have wine too because they in moved. the back. Yeah, it's yeah. are they they still boutique now? Oh, super yeah, they're boutique. super boutique. The wine is all natural wine, so that's awesome. Oh. And I'm incidentally hella into natural wine, as one would expect from us. You should check out this new Such restaurant in my home uh, called Fly. It's roasted chicken. It's all roasted chicken and natural wines. It's Ooh. the same company as Your Servos. Oh, I don't know them, okay. but also it's a really good restaurant. Also in the hood is. Uh, What's it called? Otway. Have you been there I on Fulton? I'm still that place is the bomb. Like but there's so many good places over there. So Otway has an amazing natural wine program, and nice. the food is excellent. Um, it's it's pricey, but it's like very worth it. Yeah, yeah. let's go. Dukes. So Dukes. Um, so Duke's Liquor Box, I will forever love because it, it gave me a huge education because it was all boutique spirits, and it was a huge range of those things. So I learned about like. Batavia, Iraq, but uh-huh. also Eric uh-huh. from the Middle East. So yeah. like all like massive ranges of things. I I tasted a lot of mezcal and learned about that. I learned about a lot of craft whiskeys, which I I am kind of into like American single malt now. Uh-huh. I would say that like I have a real appreciation for things that are very much of the place that they are uh-huh. from. Yes. So sometimes you'll run into these whiskeys, like let's say Cole Keegan from Santa Fe, that absolutely tastes like the desert. And you're like, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's what this should be. Yeah. This shouldn't be like the next, you know, whatever coming out of Indiana that gets blended. I mean, people can argue with me about that and that's fine. But I really like yeah, I get when, what you're saying, yeah. I love sure. when when spirits taste like they're from here or here or here. Or that's here. what it should be about. Yeah. 
I think so. And I I like gin a lot because gin is like finding people's gardens. Yeah. You know? So you've got, even though the, the base is kind of neutral, mm-hmm. pretty much, at least the garden is interesting to me. Westland also. Say what? Westland. I haven't tried that yet. Oh, it's super good. You should talk to Kayla Mato about it. She okay, represents cool. them. But Westland is based out of Seattle. And they have... Wait, maybe I have had that. They, pi- they pioneered, or like... It, they weren't the only American single malt, but mm. they definitely pioneered and decided that because Remy um, found interest in them, and that's obviously mm-hmm. like you know collective kind mm-hmm. of funding them, mm-hmm. um, allowed them to kind of be on the forefront of the American single malt movement, and and allowed a bunch of other single malt distilleries who were doing the same thing. Um, have more of a voice and advocating for that becoming an actual category. Mm. Um, That's cool. And they're working on actually legalizing that and making American single malt like a an actual actual category. category. Yeah. And Weston, just because obviously of the funding and support that right. that the collective like invested in them, have have um, not only highlighted them, but they've been really really. Um, vocal about making sure that it's not just them that Mm. gets just because they're a part of this portfolio that it's not just them that are the only ones who get featured that they told remy basically like we thank you so much for obviously being um interested in our brand and investing in it but that you have to invest in creating this um category collectively with Mm. other american single malt brands um and I think that's really beautiful and, you know, shout yeah. out to them and, and shout out to their movement because it's actually something that they're really invested in. Mm. But yeah. Westland. Yeah. We'll Westland. try it. I know. I was going to say, I really like Balconis and Garrison Brothers Single Malts. Both of mm. those are excellent as well. Mm. Um, so that, I think, makes me feel like I really like the stuff from the Southwest. But the desert smells like something wonderful, you know? Yeah. So then when you drink spirits that are from, like, a drier part of the world, you get it. And it, it's, yeah, it smells like dirt and stones. And <laughs> But, like, I love agave spirits for that reason, too. Exactly. Like, in the agave category, I really like Sotol most uh-huh, of all. Uh-huh. But that's because my Mexican part of my family are from Chihuahua. Yeah. Um, so things like Bacanora and Sotol, I, I tend to be a little more, like, minerality and like oh, I love minerality, minerality is so oh, i was talking to someone recently about best. wine and they were um they were like you know wine snobbish and i was like have you had sotol before and have you had and they were like no i like focus on wine and that's another issue with the industry is like don't focus on one thing like really broaden your horizons yeah but i was I like mean, you would love sotol sure. and you would love some of the mineral based agaves because that's that's like it's a great bridge between like terroir Mm -hmm. and understanding terroir and and getting that and anyway yeah i mean i don't know if you guys have defined terroir but i'm very into spirits that are like hyper terroir oriented Um, geographically yeah yeah. well i think like the Right. <laughs> you're you're reading the Sherry book. Mm-hmm. Um which I went Talia. to I went to Hedith last uh July for our honeymoon. We went 
to the south oh of Spain, God, and great. I was like, "Can we please include a, a trip uh, to Sambodega?" <laughs> it's imperative yeah. if you're going there. It was, yeah, it was great. I mean, and the smell too. I mean, I I guess for me, a lot of this stuff is about smell and taste, um, especially somebody that I got into it from an enthusiast standpoint instead of getting into it from like a working, like bartending standpoint. Mm-hmm. I am very obsessed with smell. Um, and then the connection to the way that things taste and smell and the place that they're from. Mm -hmm. So primarily I work in rum, um, and that has led me on a really amazing journey through many different country styles of rum and what they mean. Uh, and I think like the, the rum I work with now is Bookman rum and it's from Haiti and, you can definitely taste, like as you go through the country and you taste all the clarin from different parts of the country, you can really taste like it's different in this region than it is from this region. And really quickly, important. we won't get into it, but can you define clarin for some people who may not know what clarin is? Okay, so I'm going to say this, and this might, I, I feel like it's it's funny now that I, I even have to preface it by saying this, that this could be considered a controversial definition when it's just the definition I've experienced Hashtag with my own take. eyes. Maybe it's a hot <laughs> take, yeah. Uh, but Clarin, it's kind of in the same way that Brazilians call cachaça, cachaça, but it's rum from sugarcane juice. Mm-hmm. So is Clarin. It's rum from sugarcane juice, mm-hmm. but they call it Clarin in their own country. Mm-hmm. And so we too shall call it that um, because... That is how this world works, you know. Like I, my company is called Bookman Rum, and that I think has to do with the maybe for the same reason that people don't understand what cachaça is, and so they get a little confused. Wanted to have this product be called rum so that people could grab a hold of it. Mm. Like Babancourt is called rum, you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of going from like a how to export this to the world and make it easier to digest. But yeah. in the country, it's all Clarin. And the the two distilleries that we work with that make the Clarin call them Clarin, not yeah. rum. But we're calling it rum to sort of like get it out to the people yeah. in a slightly more digestible way. I still say Brazilian rum on the bottom. Yeah, and that I think only got changed in what 1996 or mm-hmm. something like there that. Was like so a that's whole a beef or something. Right, that's yeah. a fairly recent change in the law as well where the Brazilian government lobbied our government to make them change it to say cachaça mm-hmm. and not Brazilian rum. Yeah. yeah. But it did before that. I mean, that's important to also is like understand that if you are getting rum from an island Mm-hmm. And the people who are creating the rum and consuming the mm-hmm. rum are calling it Clarin. For sure. Then mm-hmm. we need to respect totally. the fact that that is what it's called. Yeah. And if you want to, if you want to, um, not code switch, but if you want to, in a way, it's code <laughs> I mean, switching. Yeah, kind of. It, it's kind no, of no, in no, its it own way code switching where you're just like, you're right. I, mean, I you're can't right. say this amongst people yeah. because you don't understand this, not slang, but you don't understand, sorry, you don't understand this um, term um, so I have to code switch and I have to use the word rum for you because yeah. you are not going to spend the time to actually understand that what I'm saying is Clarin is mm-hmm. interchangeable with the word rum, except that we have to pay, we have to pay respect and homage to the people that are creating and mm-hmm. making it and respect their culture. And, and, you know, just that's, that's how we're, we say it. That's what, that's how we discuss it. Yeah. Um, I think consumers, consumers and yeah. consumers are yeah. including 
bartenders because mm-hmm. we're con- also consumers. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that people forget that they're just like, oh, consumers are them and not us. Oh and no, it's we like, definitely consume. We definitely consume, <laughs> but we also have For the sure. sometimes we we, we have the mind consume. we have the mindset of consumers in the mm-hmm. sense that we're not willing to do the research or take the time mm-hmm. to bridge the gap between something that we sip on and something that others sip on in the same time at the same place and mm-hmm. in the same time in the same world mm-hmm. in a different island and are calling it something else so mm-hmm. that bridging that gap is important so i i appreciate that um you calling it clarinet and that being addressed yeah i mean like aguardiente is a thing yeah uh-huh. like it's a huge thing yeah we just don't yet get it in this country so at the point that we start getting I mean, we get one Colombian variety and then there's another one from Ecuador that I think just started being imported. But, you know, are they all all the new aguardientes that are going to make it into this country going to be called ron? Or or rum? And aguardiente is is what what my understanding is and the the knowledge that I know is it's like it's what it was before rum was you know yeah. transformed before rum was aged before rum was um in within the spanish was in the spanish region of the spanish you know islands um aguadente was something that they called rum because it was water fire it was right. so intense right. and it was off the still and it wasn't aged and it you it was the the translation of aguadente is literally water fire fire, fire yeah. water or fire, whatever yeah. yeah um and so but that but so i'm puerto rican so i I have a different understanding than my sister, my half sister, who's my sister, um, who's half Colombian. So mm-hmm. when when I went to Colombia, Aguadente was a different right, spirit. With niece. Yeah, with the niece, yeah. it was a completely yeah, that's different the only spirit. One I know, to be honest. Right. Yeah, that's and so I, I remember when I was working when I was working with the rum brand that I was working mm-hmm. at was like trying to differentiate and calling different calling it something else because it is a part of because that, remember, people yeah. would think that we were talking about aguadiente which is what colombians right the mm-hmm. li- liqueur that colombians yeah. have right that's theirs that's mm-hmm. what it is but understanding kill devil aguadiente mm-hmm. all the different kind of um and the word gildive is kill devil exactly French. exactly so they're all the same yeah i mean right so and aguadiente is the same as Claren, basically. Like you're you're looking at unaged sugarcane juice spirits that are probably a one pass on a small homemade kind of a still. Um, and this is like everywhere in the Caribbean, Central America, South America. Um, so what when you were working at Dukes, what um, gravitated you towards, you mentioned that you, you know, if, when you were a home bartender, mm-hmm. you, if, I mean, rum was the first spirit that you named. So what... Um, what was your introduction to Bookman in the transition from working at Dukes into where you are now, which is a national brand ambassador? Yes. Or national right. brand manager. Or something. Something. Um, <laughs> the you national, represent I'm the, it. I'm the, the lady. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I had started getting into rum before I, I worked at Dukes. But then from working at Dukes and being able to try all these different spirits and then reading more books and getting more into it. I was really, I don't know. I, f- I feel like this category grabbed me. Um, and the, then as I get older and I do more personal family research, I realize that there's a very s- specific reason why I am tied to rum. And I say tied to rum because 
my family are some of the people that came over with Columbus who brought sugarcane to Hispaniola. So that's a strong tie. That's a Um, very strong tie. It is. And it's also, it's a thing that, that makes you go, oh, (laughs) like, oh shit. Like in a, oh shit kind of way. You're like, oh, oh, oh shit. Yeah. I can get into Um, past life things for days, but I'm not going to do that right now. However, that is some shit. Right. So then, you know, last year, I think it was last year, I did a 23andMe to kind of like settle Mm -hmm. the, Mm -hmm. where we at with all this. Uh, (laughs) And especially because like so many Latin American people, and I I will say the word Hispanic because in California, people like to say the word Hispanic because they like to associate themselves with Spain, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's a thing. And for me as a Puerto Rican, Hispanic is a very real thing because like I can trace some of my family to Spain and then some of my family just to Taino Indians. Right, so you're Taino and I am also potentially i like based on the research i've done i'm raramura uh from the chihuahua state so i have native american mexican and then i also have a significant portion of spanish and then my mom is a white lady so i have uk from my (laughs) mom who's just a white lady which Uh is fine um and no one's trying to like pretend about anything here you know so it's it's really like when you look at your family and what they did um, specifically, and then then you go to the island of Hispaniola to Haiti, and I went to a sugarcane museum that had a bunch of horrifying torture yeah, implements at this museum, and the guy was giving us the straight up about how it really went down. And then you turn the corner, and there's a picture of Queen Isabella, who is my cousin, however many times removed. And I was wow. like, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> like this is yikes. fucked. This is, <laughs> this is <laughs> fucked. Hashtag yikes. Yeah, yeah so I, put that I back. had like a, a real. Um, not existential because it was more like a corporeal crisis. Yeah. You know, where I was like, <laughs> yeah. It's within me. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is me right here. But then this is also me too as yeah. a person today who's teaching about rum, yeah. talking about it, educating people about it, and trying to get people to not be, I guess, frivolous. Like this mm-hmm. is not a category that should be met with frivolity. And yet I feel like maybe besides vodka, it is the category that is met with the most frivolity. And that is so difficult because rum is the drink of beach party USA or, or beach party USA taking their party to the Caribbean or white people Island in, you know, like France islands or. um, Yeah. All of that. um, What is that? Mykonos. I went to. That was like I was thinking about Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> I know, right? Now that I'm Lilo sorry. is a club owner in Mykonos, and she was doing that horrible <laughs> dance, and someone was like, "That's how you should have done in Mykonos, bitch!" <laughs> she was doing that horrible dance. I, I know, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to like take anything seriously at this point in our lives. But yeah, yeah exactly. So. Yeah, so it's it's difficult for me with rum because so much of the rum that we consume in the world is made in countries that have no labor laws and everybody's yeah. exploited and it's terrible. 
And then there's a little bit of rum that's made in the world that is actually made ethically and uh, people get paid the way that they should get paid. Yeah. And it actually tastes like the plant that it's originally <laughs> from instead of like being a byproduct of a byproduct that a gets byproduct, distilled yeah. to 95 percent and tastes yeah. like nothing, mm-hmm. a.k.a. neutral cane spirit. Um, so, yeah, so I I have had a very interesting journey. <laughs> that's the sh- that's the short. That's the short. short and the long. That's, that's um, the that on that. And yeah. you've been and you've been <laughs> doing this. You've been with Bookman for how long? I've been with Bookman for two years. Um, it has really changed my life for sure. Um, and I, I mean that in a way. And I hate to say this too, because this is also going to sound like the whitest thing ever, or like every white person that's ever been to Haiti. Um, but you go and you're like, wow, there is a lot that needs to happen in this country to take it even up like a notch. Like, but it's the whitest thing ever in a great way. I I feel like more people need to be exposed to that. Uh, Ricky, I wouldn't even say, I wouldn't even say it's the whitest thing. I would say, I would say as a Latina and going, I have me, I have my aunt lives in, in Puerto Rico and we have a house, a family house there. And, I would even say it it's a white thing. It could be a classist thing as a woman of color and being comfortable in New York City and having a great um having like even though I was like middle class growing up and you know str- struggled in some aspects and struggled didn't struggle in other aspects um I will say that regardless of your ethnicity me personally being tied to the to the island of Puerto Rico, going back and seeing the damage that was done to my family house, going back and seeing what was happening to that island, going back after like a couple months after Maria and seeing the state and seeing what was happening had nothing to do. I was stripped of, I think it just becomes, you get, you get, and I hope that you are stripped of this dichotomy of of race and you just you just get stripped of you are a fucking human and there are other humans who are suffering and struggling and need your awareness and don't are not in a position of power to have a platform to discuss what they're going through and to do things and even me as someone who has family in Puerto Rico going back and seeing the condition of the of the island stripped me of as a woman of color I mean and it and it hopefully strips like a white person of many layers of that but it just for me even being a woman of color seeing those conditions it became more of a we are both people of color, but it became a classist thing. It became a ne- and it became a necessity. And after the, after I got off with the classist layer, it became necessities, humans, what we need, um, emotional and emotional support, like those kind of things. Like it it became more. And I th- and I encourage those trips that I know that you've taken, bartenders mm-hmm. of all shades of color, yeah, to. For sure. Bookman has taken them multiple years to yeah. ha- to Haiti and seen that, and even Luis Hernandez, who's right. from Venezuela, who came from right. that, left that trip, came back, and was like, "Holy shit! Yeah. Like, let's re let's re let's reengage how we discuss this category and did we discuss these terroirs? And we stopped calling ter- I mean, not terroirs, but like people and humans and yeah, and 
I just wanted, I'm sorry to interrupt you about that, but like it, no, be- it becomes fine. more than that. It's okay. <laughs> because I experienced that too as a woman of color. Yeah. I mean, I say that because as a Californian and as someone from the West Coast, we are so very uh, oriented around charity work in a way that is much different from the East Coast. This is not a slam. It's more just like a how I grew up. Like I'm from Marin. I grew up in the Bay. There's a lot of very wealthy white people there that are very actively involved in charity work. And that's kind of the California vibe, man. Like Mm -hmm. you make a fuck ton of money and then you get involved in some charity work to absolve your sins or something. So I'm coming from that. It isn't the worst thing to do. And I grew up in a church that was very mission oriented. Uh, So like my missionaries. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of missionaries, lots of mission trips to very poor countries. Um, So that's kind of like always sitting in my background. But again, the people that were in charge of the church were some white people. The people that are in charge of all these Cali charities are always some white people. So then I go to Haiti and I feel like this is not, I'm not like making this up. I feel genuinely like moved and very, I don't know, like very glad to be working for a company that is trying to do business in a poor country Mm -hmm. and it's business. It's not like, of course, when you talk about it, you start sounding like you're trying to help people because we have more money than we do, than they do. But in the end, we are doing contract distilling in a like in an attempt to get business going. And that's huge for Haiti, because the issue that the country has right now is that it's so reliant on aid that there are almost no sectors functioning. Mm. So they used to have an agricultural sector. And then when the Clintons happened the first time around, uh, (laughs) when Bill Clinton (laughs) was president, Um, the American government decided that the black pigs in Haiti should not exist anymore because maybe one of them had a disease and instead they should buy our pink pigs. So the Haitian government wiped out all the pigs. Then they bring in pigs from the United States, which are not like conditioned and they're not native and they all die and it's terrible. Then uh, there, the there used to be a rice sector that is gone and is all supplemented by Arkansas rice, also chickens from Arkansas. So if you like look through the history of poor countries and American aid, quote unquote, or American mm. involvement, it basically World just bank means, shit. yeah, it basically <laughs> just means that we've wiped out all the agricultural sector in this country and instead replaced it with like subsidized. Rice, chicken, Uh pigs, and other shitty food that's grown in our country. And our food is so terrible, you know. So I feel really good about Bookman because basically we are giving a contract job to distilleries. But that also then means that it gives more contract jobs to sugarcane farmers. And in the process, then because Haiti is the way that it is, because it used to be a French colony... Then they kicked the French out and they kind of modeled their new version of government on the French Revolution style. It meant that all the plots of land went to individuals. So in Haiti, you're not looking at like conglomerate, like big national corporations that Mm -hmm. doesn't exist. It's like this dude has, you know, like a hectare. And then there's another dude and he's got two hectares and everybody has. It's like like how French wine grows. Exactly. It's like how you think of terroir and like wine. 
Exactly. So everybody, there's like tons of small farmers that now have more work and more farming and, and that's positive because it's literally just giving jobs to people instead of attempting to do aid or, or buying people out. And then, yeah. oh no, there's protests. We're that's out of here. See you later. Yeah. You know, like Thank we're you. not doing that. And I yeah. feel really good about this particular business model instead of, I don't know, more aid or whatever, or mm. mission work or something. Yeah. You know? That's like so eye opening that I didn't know about the American aid like that. That's crazy. But that's true, like in so, like that's Central America too. Oh, God, I mean, we really so, destabilize Central America for the same. I mean, I don't know. You can keep looking at American interference around the world. Yeah, like the coffee industry true. with Nicaragua. Yes, the coffee oh, industry God. is a great example. Yeah, totally. that was a huge thing. Like, I remember in mm-hmm. high school, I did like a. Thank God, shout out to Lev Moscow, who's my high school teacher, who is now a mentor and friend. But he was like, We're going to create this sub. Like, with the high school, didn't completely um, approve of it. But he was like, we're doing a fair trade coffee exchange. Like, we're going to Nicaragua, and we're going to see exactly what fair trade means. Because fair trade is so... This was in 2006, where, like, fair trade was, like, very early on. But Mm -hmm. just, like, seeing what that actually means. Mm -hmm. Going there. What does a fair trade farm look like? Oh, it looks like what you wouldn't expect a fair trade farm to look like. This is, so then how do we then go back to the U S and be like, what is fair trade? How can we, how can we then as high schoolers, like, like a New York times article, like, like literally just being like, this isn't like fair trade is bullshit or these things are bullshit. And you have to actually go there and see what is called fair trade or Mm -hmm. what is called these certain things that like, brands rum rum brands or other distill uh, other distilleries whether it goes agave and even with when it goes into agave and talking about replanting of Mm -hmm. new agave plants when you're using others it's like do you know how long it takes for an agave plant to mature and how much actual work are you doing towards replanting and all those things just like i think that what i really want to know especially working with a brand and now that i'm not working a brand anymore for me moving forward, like transparency about what the fuck you're doing is so vital for me. And I think it's something that like, whether or not you feel good about talking about and whether or not you're working with a brand that you, maybe their morals don't align with yours, but even being able to have the conversation about being on the opposite side of transparency on like the not good side of transparency. And even, even having the conversation about how, your brand is not transparent or you guys are not doing things, just having the knowledge and the tools to even have that conversation. People like are like, oh, oh, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. No, but like, and nobody even wants if your to talk brand, about farming. Ever. No one. No, I mean, unless you're in the French Caribbean. Nobody wants to talk about sugarcane farming at all because it's terrible most of the time. Like the entire Central American and South American sugarcane farming industry is horrifying and has horrifying human rights records where people get kidnapped at 15 and die at 25 because of dehydration and kidney failure. I mean, this is like documented too, but literally nobody that's a brand ambassador for a brand ever talks about the fact that their rum is created from death, you know, and I hate to be super blunt, but I'm, I kind of don't hate it anymore. No, fuck that. I mean, it's, we unapologetically shake shit up. It's really funny (laughs) because like, so, you know, in the rum club that 
Shannon, Austin, and I do, we have not yet talked about rums in a Spanish style because every time someone brings up, like, should we do this? I'm like, okay, so I'm going to talk about people dying for like an hour. Yeah. Like, I don't know what else to say about this. Like this, it's it's distilled to a super high proof. So you're yeah. not really even tasting the source anymore. And then like the human rights record is so bad that you can't Which is why actively I think, get into it. I think there's, there's this like conversation that's happening with rum. It's like whether we should like the doc like categorizing rum in that kind of way i I mean like i'm into that because there are certain people there are certain people there are are a lot of people who are like no i don't want to do that i don't want to categorize rum in this like doc docg kind of style Mm -hmm. because i think a lot of those issues would come up right because like rum is just like a wildflower like not to say like sugarcane like but it's 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 not um it's not what's the word that I'm looking for? It's not um man not managed, but it's not it's there's no laws against rum across the board. Right. So yes, so it's more like there's well, in some cases there's laws. It depends within, on within, within the country, country within right. the country. And then there's styles within countries, but there is no unifying law other than it needs to be from sugar cane somehow. Sure, a like sugar cane distillate, yeah. Yeah. Like there's But no, like there's no like union no. or anything. And or, I think that would be it, it could it could be good. I mean, I understand the national resistance to that, but then that just means that each country needs to actually be transparent about what goes on. And that's hard. I mean, get even just get, you know, like we live in New York you go to West Indian areas and people are talking shit about the next island over. And you're like, y'all, we're, we're all from Hundo so close P. to Do each I have other. To, what the hell? Hundo P. We are... What is, it, is this the new jam the, that I missed? It's not, yeah. even, new. It's yeah. not even new. I know. It, this is um, the fourth episode? Yeah. Um, okay, so transitioning into... You know, obviously, you're very educated in your in the spirit that you represent. But um, I'm like a huge nerd in general, though. Yeah, Again, but I think I used to work in tech. You're nerd. You're just nerdy. across yeah, the board. Nerd. I'm super nerdy. Yeah. Um, my final question <laughs> question um is, you know, I was an ambassador at one point, and I really felt like I could have used the advice of other people who have been representing brands. Um, who have been either a brand ambassador, a brand manager, and have been working in that, getting outside of the bartending field and working um, as a poster girl or a boy for a brand, what would your advice be to a new brand ambassador or someone who's representing a brand in any facet? I would definitely say do not do it unless you actually care about the category you're representing. Because... There's other jobs in this world, you know, like don't be the next whiskey slinging dickhead or whatever. Like, who gives a shit? <laughs> whiskey slinging dickhead. Whiskey slinging, slinging that whiskey dick. Because the whiskey, because the whiskey, because because the whiskey slinging dickhead is probably slinging that whiskey dick. And yes. we all know whiskey dick ain't good for shit. We do. Um, I'm <laughs> obsessed with that term, whiskey slang and dickhead. 
You have to say it with that accent. Whiskey slang and dickhead. I think that's going to be our first country that's album. That's probably like Sorry, the name of song. <laughs> Who has an emo band that needs a name? Here we go. We got it. Give it a credit. Yeah. Yeah. So like if you don't really care about gin, don't go gin off for gin brand. Um, like I love gin. And if I was doing something else with my life, I don't know. Whoa, hold on, run that back. She said gin off. I meant fuck off, but I said gin off. The fuck? The gin? Gin off. Oh, gin off is good, though. Gin off me. Shit. Oh, my God. Wait, so the Juniper somewhere else, all right? Oh, my God. This is dead? No, it's not. Danny, anyway. Mal yeah. back that ass up. I love that one. To back it up, too. <laughs> to mal back that ass up. Ooh. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I like, I strongly believe that. Like, there, again, there are so many things that we could all be doing. We're all very bright and capable, and we're energetic, and we're, like, ready to talk to people. So, like, sell something you're interested in. Yeah. Also, we have computers in our pockets. That's true too. Yeah. So if you are interested in a category, let's say like you do really like gin, really learn everything about gin and then learn everything about all the gins from the country that you're representing. Like, Mm. for example, I like gins from continental Europe, not so much the UK. I feel like the UK gins are kind of weak at this point and continental gins are killing it, specifically Germany, France, Belgium Mm. and Spain, you know, like amazing different types of distillation they're using copper pot stills more the terroir is far more interesting the botanicals are really interesting where with the uk you're like cool i know bartenders like to deal with beef eater and i don't fucking deal understand with. that i mean i feel like bartenders are always like yeah beef eater and i'm like fuck you like it tastes like I don't know, aggression or something. It tastes like white. Yes, it's white aggression. It's white aggression. (laughs) It's beef eater aggression. People that, yeah, okay. Yes. Beef eater. Like, it just sounds, yeah. And Tanqueray is fine and Bombay. That white aggression makes you crack the knuckles. Ooh, shit. But yeah. And again, not that the white aggression isn't happening in France, Germany, <laughs> Belgium, and Spain. But at yeah, least the gins back. are more interesting. So yeah. yeah. And if it's rum, you need to absolutely learn the two thousand year history of sugar or mm-hmm. the more the the eight thousand year history of sugarcane. Then you need to learn how sugarcane got to Europe and then you need to learn the entire history of the Caribbean. And if you start selling rum without knowing all of that, you're doing a massive disservice to everybody that died who was trying to make sugarcane happen and slavery. I mean, you've got to learn the whole thing. Um, And that's huge and very important. And uh, really, as we research all these spirits more, you know, it's like if you're a person selling whiskey from Scotland, you don't necessarily have to get into the massive... I don't know what to say about that, but like, it's not <laughs> the massive. It's, 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 it. it's not you, you can, there are some spirits that you can talk about where you don't have to talk about human rights abuses. And then there's rum and the entire 
situation is human rights abuses. So you got to know your history and you got to be feeling comfortable to talk about that. And also, if you think it's just to follow up, it's like if you are a rum nerd, I think that rum, as we discussed earlier, is something that has been a wave that everyone is really riding on. Everyone's on a fucking boogie board out For here sure. trying to surf. <laughs> and and y'all just got to And I learned the hard way because I fucking crashed under a wave and I had <laughs> no. to learn like working with the rum brand, like exactly. Wait, are you still talking about boogie board? Boogie board? <laughs> Yo, I grew up boogie boarding. Yo, I only know how to boogie board, but <gasps> me too. I never surfed. I don't I'm, fucking surf. I'm, I'm top heavy. Your girl's people... falling down. I'm a oh, triple D. You. I'm going down, <laughs> down. I went down. to a, a Saint Germain <laughs> learn how to surf thing this summer and gets to the girl did sat on the towel the whole time, made everyone welcome oh, cocktails slicer. for after they. Oh my surf. god, I'm swag surfing all the time. Hello. Um. <laughs> I just made them welcome cocktails when they got done surfing. You're like, <laughs> I wasn't about to be surf- caught out there I was like, dumb. when Beyonce was like, surfboard, I was like, surfboard. You're like, But no, I think that a lot of people who are very interested in rum, and I, like I said, I learned the hard way, and I decided to make a really in, like just like an important decision to work at a rum bar even though i was working with a specific rum brand that wasn't even served at that rum bar to actually have it a really greater deeper understanding of the history of whatever spirit that like that spirit specifically but if you are into rum and love to work with rum and love the profiles of it profiles are people 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 are in yes. literally putting things in their hands to create the flavors that you taste on your fucking palate. Your palate is someone who works and is someone that has history and is someone that's in a place who is a person who fucking has history like behind that. I think that's just like so important to understand and not only through this is an rum is an active spirit. I think agave definitely is a part of that. I think there's definitely spirits that were like that sector of understanding like sweat blood and tears into every single like saline drop you put in your daiquiri to make it balanced right but fucking changes things like actually think about that shit when you drink educate yourself and be a greater part of this community who's who's involving themselves in the history and danny is a huge source of that and that's why thank you for being on this motherfucking podcast to do that you are great I could pick your brain all day. with our announcements um my first and only one is for our favorite in this industry going up is having their four-year anniversary um congrats to bq for that it's on april 2nd uh it's a tuesday per usual 
these are always really fun because there's a whole shit ton of bartenders behind a bar for 30-minute segments. They all the do different prior. themes. Yeah, they do different themes. I did one before. I was supposed to do last year's, but I was stuck in Mexico, so I could come back. But uh, this one should be really fun. Uh, everyone should check it out. That's uh, this Tuesday, the next Tuesday, right? The it's second? Just, it's, it's the next Tuesday um, at 3 Bleaker at Von Bar. On Bowery and Bleaker, right on the corner. And the downstairs usu- part. The downstairs part. And they usually, for, since because it's such a um, huge lineup, because it reflects the whole year's going ups, mm-hmm. and it does little 30-minute like segments intervals, or like yeah. Yeah, intervals, um, it may start earlier. We're going to get the details, but it's definitely something that you guys should check out, whether it's before your shift, because last year, I think it started in the afternoon, and it went all the way till 4 a.m. So if someone wanted to go before their shift or after their shift, um, just to support their... Uh, three-year, uh, excuse me, four-year anniversary. Um, uh, that's you know something. Their, their Instagram off the top of your head? It's going up. Going up NYC? NYC. So look at going up NYC for further details. I'm sure they'll be posting all week about this. BQ um, will be as well. Yeah. So look for that. And, um, and Facebook. Facebook as well. And on Facebook. Uh, Danny, you had a announcement. You had two, right? Two announcements. But one, one chronologically. Chronologically, the next announcement is that Gladys Caribbean, uh, the one that's on Franklin Avenue in Crown Heights, is having their five-year anniversary party on April 4th. So y'all come out, celebrate the rum, hang out with Ms. Shannon Mustafer, her badass Queen? Queen? Really the queen. Yeah, she's actually my queen, too, because I would say that she's heavily responsible for... Yeah, we didn't. I talk would about say that, just Tiki she, she Queen, really, but like she's an actual no, just a queen a across queen. the board. She and she's I just... have been doing R and D and like working on cocktails for years, and I truly appreciate the way that she breaks everything down mm. and absolutely has to make a drink like fifteen to twenty times yeah. to uh-huh. maximize its full yep. potential. That bitch is truly like keyed into perfection and like to be in a badass bitch who will not stop until she's reached perfection she's a rolly she's non-stop yeah it's a rolly not a stop better radio voice than you danny i know her radio (sighs) is unbelievable we're gonna have her 420 (gasps) we have her as a guest 420 who said i can record 420 420 yeah. is when yeah, she will be, be a real fun episode um on this show we will definitely be making some experimental cocktails but i think also shannon is someone who i knew before <laughs> listen a hue of a she is hue of a hue of queen okay who that i met that um oh my god i, I can you stop I'm turning my phone on like low battery because it's like, me. make sure you get this issues, out of it y'all. because it's got to stop. Um, Shannon is somebody who I met and I changed my entire perception of understanding someone from the industry, someone from uh, like as a woman of color in the industry, a queer woman of color in the industry, like her cadence, her demeanor, the way that she approaches things makes you reevaluate. And it, it maybe just because I had at the I had the opportunity to share a bar with her behind like a shift at Paradise to really actually get to understand her mind and how she works. Um, 
it's I think a lot of people who represent brands or represent themselves as a brand come off as this like super personable like over the top and she's just so coy and and um stable in the foundation that is her and that really allowed me as a woman to say I don't have to be so over the top. I don't have to engage in the way that people think I need to engage mm-hmm. in order to redeem respect, mm-hmm. redeem a, an audience, redeem a room. And she is someone that if you get the opportunity to um, be around as a woman of color, as a woman, really um, see how she functions behind and in front of a bar, and it's truly, um, uh, it you 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 leave a shift and be like, okay, let me just reevaluate how I communicate and how I how my presence is ex- uh, accepted in a crowd, and how that could be changed without having to be like the over the top, like super, like hi hi, guy. like you know, I, yeah. I really just was like, oh wow, like I can really bring this back and pull it back and still gain the attention of everyone in the room. Mm-hmm. I mean, and because not above in the all, way she is always herself, exactly, and and she's comfortable with that, and it's inspiring, honestly. Yeah. And so I guess I'll tack onto that that she has a book out now. It's called Tiki. Modern Tropical Cocktails, Mm -hmm. and it's just out. Uh, If you're in New York, there is a, the launch party is starting at King Tai on March 29th. So that's- Where is King Tai? That's in Crown Heights. So it's on Nostrand and the corner of like Bergen and Nostrand. Nice. Um, And she's doing like a, basically a book launch all week. So, but it starts on the 29th. Um, Yeah, sadly, I'll be in Chicago, so I can't go. But I wish I could because I have a recipe in the book, but nice. whatever. Yo, shout out to you. That's lit. It's cute. Yes. I just plug myself, but also no, shameless like, plugs. I'm here for it. But there's, a, but there's a <laughs> lot of people in this town that have recipes in the book. And mm-hmm. that's because we've all worked with her, talked to her and then gotten into her vision. You know, like yeah. she's, she really has imparted a lot to all of us. And we're very thankful for that. Oh, absolutely. Hundo mm-hmm. All right, Taylor. Hundo uh, what do you have, B. What do you have for announcements? Um, I have two announcements. So one, um, speaking of Chicago, if anybody knows causing a stir, um, there's um, two parts to that team. It's Ariel and Alexis. Mm-hmm. Alexis Brown, who I got to meet a couple years ago, um, just last weekend, um, got into a tragic and very serious car accident that um, put her into a lot of people don't have health insurance in this um, industry, which is what I will follow up with afterwards. But um, she got into a car accident, and the reason why she got into a car accident was because she was completely sober, but she was overworked. And she in Chicago, unlike New York, we don't have the train as accessible to us. And she drove home, and unfortunately, out of exhaustion, she fell asleep and she yeah. got into a car accident. So she is now has in a state she has multiple um, bones broken, and she needs your support. 
So if you go onto Instagram at Causing a Stir or Facebook, we will we will drop in our episode um, the GoFundMe in the description. I'll make sure in the description. Well, yeah, we're going to post it to the description. Um, We need to support people and bartenders not only within our reach but beyond our arms reach and chicago has been such a element of support and and team of support especially with causing a stir especially yeah this is someone who really supports what we you know what we stand for and she comes and she comes in all the time every time they're in the city we meet we talk we build and we talk about how we can causing a stir is a non-for-profit bless you blake um is a non-for-profit and um basically um basically goes into the inter- intercity parts of chicago a bar uh bars and provides education um behind the bar as to how to build drinks mm-hmm. how to you know just bar education and spirit education and really is invested into in- integrating inner city bartenders into um the realm of the bubble that we all live in and i think that's really important also just like a beautiful human someone that we should all support she is she also is the littlest little bitty like ray of sunshine that when you come into a room like she just like brightens it yes and i love her and i was i wasn't i was trying to call ariel and i wasn't able to get to her because i think that that she personally is overwhelmed by how much like how many people are are contacting her reaching out to her and Mm -hmm. i said in any way possible so what we're gonna do is in the description of this episode we're going to um obviously copy and paste the gofundme and encourage people to support her because when you don't have insurance when you are in a car accident when you have multiple bones broken and you have to stay at a hospital for weeks on end and mm-hmm. then after that you then have to go into physical therapy and then after in the in the entire time you don't have an income yeah, and this, our job is completely physical and let's be honest like <sighs> my savings account isn't lush so like i'm not i could not say that if i got into an accident tomorrow six months later i'd be able to pay my rent every month and not work Mm -hmm. and so what we're gonna do is support her as she has supported us and make sure that she's taken care of because not our industry does not just our arms don't spread within these five boroughs our arms spread across this country and then across this world and whoever needs the help that that you need we are here for you and we will continue to be here for you and as a woman of color i you are my number one um and thank you for always being a pillar of strength with whatever voice i wanted to speak and we wanted to speak and being a radiant light of positivity for us and so there is no question that New York will not support you and hold you down uh, through your journey of recovery. Hondo P. And I mean that. Yeah. And uh, so let's. Uh, how, you want to link this into? We'll link. Or, we'll uh, link it in. Yeah. We'll. Um. And then following women of color, I love you, Alexis. We're here for you. You're in our prayers. Um, Forza Latina is a, a two-year ongoing. Um, fundraiser that I've been I started at Vaughn and now we're going to be doing at Diamond Reef 
um, on April 9th. Um, we have Diamond Yoli. Reef. Yes. Yeah. We have Yoli from so Broken Shaker. We have me, Genesis, and Monica. Yes, also, happy birthday, Yoli. Yeah, it's her birthday like today. It was it was yesterday. It's yesterday. And when this comes out, it'll be maybe, well, it was just yeah. a few days. We have well, Genesis birthday, Cruz, Monica, and me, which are the three Puerto Rican girls who work at Dead Rabbit, which is super sick. We have um, Yanni uh, from Volcan. We have a we have like nine Latina bartenders um, who will be um, working and fundraising. All the tips go to there's there's two in, in particular individuals from Dead Rabbit who um, are Venezuelan and their families are suffering. One in particular, our barback, whose father was in the hospital on uh, basically in his last days and. Not his last days, but he was attached to a machine when that when they lost electricity. He is now in a very more severe place, and so I think that Dead Rabbit, it, we are all fundraising, and so this event will definitely um, go towards his father's stability. He's been transferred to another hospital, but because of the two days of not being stabilitated in the way that he yeah. needed to be. He has suffered through a lot more than he should have. And he was actually on his way up into recovery and took like 10 steps back <sighs> because of it. So he's just like, I just had a conversation with him like a couple, like two weeks ago. And he was like, I don't know what to do. My dad is, and I was like, we will support you. And so Fuerza Latina is going to be at Diamond Reef um, on the 9th from like 7 to midnight. Um, we'll have different Latina bartenders. We'll put out a flyer. We'll definitely be um, broadcasting that on our Instagram and on our personal Instagrams at Better While She's Tall, at Vayachica, um, at Walker Blake. Um, definitely um, all of the tips will be towards those families mm -hmm. that I think personally were... I mean, we, we definitely are in a limbo between, like, a general, generally um, putting all our tips to somewhere. But I think that, like, because these two barbacks that are Venezuelan that have, like, come to Dead Rabbit being, like, we are going through so much. Yeah. I think that, like, they need it because I know that the money that exactly I'm going to give will go towards their family. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you start donating to certain nonprofits or certain this that you don't know where the money's going. And I think that at least this, this, um, you know, event will be definitely going towards two families that I know need it personally in a very, really deeply medical way. It's another beautiful thing about our industry. Like circling back to what I talked about earlier, like we're always trying to help. We're always willing to work for free to help whoever, you know, and so, it's gonna be it's sure. gonna be highlighting the Latina bartenders in this industry, and I think that's super important. And uh, that'll be out. So that's an announcement. You will see the flyer um, in the next four days, four or five days. Win. Dope. Uh, here we are with the last word. I have mine is very short and sweet. Uh, something that one of my very near and dear bartender friends, Drew Johnson, has reminded me of time and time again after our shifts on Saturdays that are very crazy. I think all of us as bartenders need to take a step back sometimes and realize as, how frustrating as our industry may be, especially at places that are high volume like where we work, we need to 
take a step back and realize how grateful we are to work in places that we're making all this money. And no matter how frustrating people are or no matter how many, like, you know, complaints we have, whether they're funny or not, we need to take a deep breath and just put our heads down and do the work. It's frustrating a lot of the time. I mean, we have a million complaints all the time about this person said that or that person did this or that's really dumb or this is really stupid and I'm annoyed by this or that. But we have to really take a step back and look at the bigger picture most of the time and just see how grateful we are to have what we have and to be working in an industry that that's, that's this lit and to have the friends and support that we have, uh, especially in bigger cities. I mean, we, we're all connected in whatever city we're in nationally and internationally and what we do but we need to really circle it back around and stop complaining a lot and just look at what we do on a day-to-day basis and just see how lucky we are at the end of the day yeah and that's all i have to say um my last word is i just recently changed my instagram to vaya chica and um, it used to be Red Wine Dime. And then when I started working with the rum brand, I changed it to Tay Rumsis. Um, and then I changed it back to Red Wine Dime because I was like the comfortable default. But then I realized like when I came up with Red Wine Dime, I was 19 and like that's no longer my um, persona or who I am. And Vaya Chica translates to, at least with like the Puerto Rican slang, um, means go girl. And it means like, go girl. It means basically like, you go girl, like, go girl, like, get it, get it girl, or go girl. And I just want a lot of positivity um, when it comes to someone um, altering their social media, um, whether it be their name or their image, um, really embrace them with positivity and really try to um, instead of think of like, oh, why are you changing this so much? Or why are you doing something so different? Realize that the discomfort in social media is really privileged. Like, it's like, it's silly. Like, it's like, it's not real. And I think that what we should focus on and praise people on is in social media is the positive things that they're posting and doing and how you can contribute to that i think that when someone posts a picture of themselves or someone changes their name or someone posts something that's moving in a direction towards positivity that you really latch onto that versus countering that and bringing negative energy and just in general with social media i think that everyone kind of sees this outlook as this opportunity to you know judge or see things and have opinions on but we have to really really remember is that these are people's lives that they're peering allowing you to peer into into their lives and that is such a moment for you to be positive and reinforcing and really supportive of um, whether it be their stories or spend a moment one day to just say something positive about someone's post say something like something say something positive about someone's story and really really re-engage social media into a uplifting platform and not a heavy weighted um platform that you allow yourself to troll onto or it's easy and i've done it myself and i'm not perfect and i and I, i've been there but i just want people to really use it as an uplifting light and as and a, and a means of connection 
towards positivity. And that's it. So this concludes our episode number four. Number four. Thank you guys for Thank listening. Yeah, we Thank love you y'all. Danny. Thank you to Danny. Oh, thanks to Danny. You send in your questions to no call no show pod at questions and between the sheets sex stories i would like to say thank you to balake again balake is the backbone balake is the backbone of us yes thank you to orlando for the tea punches punches and the space and hello should we shout out let's just do a shout out to walter hey michael Michael. you're in you're in here uh yeah balake is gonna cook us a steak now because we're spoiled we love y'all. Bye. See you next week. Two weeks. Two weeks. Okay, two bye. weeks. See you next week. Two weeks. <laughs> bye.